Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your dungeon master and host, Ryan Howard, and today we are talking to Courtney from Figuratively Speaking Minis. Uh, that is an Instagram page that she runs. She's now having a, a YouTube presence as well. And she does some really great work on miniatures. Uh, we had a great conversation about mini painting, something that we haven't talked about this show in a long time. I think the last time we had like a, a real conversation about this on Rollin' Bones was when I brought uh, Gunnar Calloway on. But it's a great conversation, just talking about you know how much fun it is to to paint minis. A lot of great uh, technique discussions and and kind of getting into how both of us learned how to paint. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, as those of you who regularly listen to the show will recall, last week I had Tim Mathias from Knights and Nerds on to uh, kind of talking talk about you know how to start that process of of DMing, and we had a great conversation. However, there is something that I meant to bring up that uh, we we just didn't get to because we were kind of running out of time. I have to wake up super early on the weekdays, so I had to move things along. I could talk to Tim for like four hours uh but you know we had to kind of compress that episode a little bit and there were some things that i wanted to get to that we we didn't get to and one of the things that i kind of forgot to mention uh that i just want to bring up here as as kind of the the intro for today is the idea that that when you start dming a lot of things are going to be overwhelming and it's it's a lot to kind of keep track of as far as uh you know just monster stats and who's what and you know how many hit points everyone has uh and so one thing that i found very very helpful and again this is not something that i came up with this is something that i shamelessly stole from a uh another content creator matt colville has this concept called the monster wrangler and uh, that's something that i have used in every single one of my games since i saw that episode that he did on it uh, you can watch the the video on YouTube. It's called the Monster Wrangler, and basically, what you do is you kind of offload the responsibility of tracking the monster's hit points onto your players. You say, "All right, who wants to be the Monster Wrangler?" Or you have like a dedicated Monster Wrangler at at our table on Wednesdays. Uh, Josh has kind of become the the Monster Wrangler, as as it were. And basically, every time someone does damage, all the person does is just write down a number. They write down the number of damage that the the creature took. And every now and then, you just ask the Monster Wrangler, "Hey, how much damage has the monster taken?" You know, you have the the stat block in front of you. You have a general idea of how many hit points the monster has. And and that kind of enables you to uh, manage other things at the table while the player is keeping track of the monster's damage. And uh, it's it's a tremendous weight kind of taken off of you as the dungeon master, and it really speeds up combat as well. Because you don't have to sit there and, you know, write the numbers down and then add everything together. You don't have to constantly ask the uh, the player who just attacked it okay how much damage was that again uh okay uh all right um uh now it's your turn uh another thing that's actually very helpful in uh in combat is having some kind of way to visualize initiative again on wednesday nights uh they have this uh this magnetic wet erase initiative tracker and basically it just you know there's tiles that kind of list the players and the monsters and you show that to the players so that you know you don't have to constantly remember okay who's next your players have some kind of visual representation of okay my character goes next and then this character and then the monster and again it 
it really just helps speed things up. And another trick that I'm gonna start implementing now, um, and I don't, this is actually like codified in another game system other than 5th edition. I don't remember which one, Josh just told me about this. Uh, this week. But another thing about initiative that just kind of helps move things along and speed things up, once you roll the monster's initiative, you know kind of where where everything is. And at that point, you know, you, you have a frame of reference and go, okay, the monster rolled a, say the monster rolled a 15. Who has higher than a 15? And then, you know, all the players who have higher than a 15 raise their hands, and from there you, you figure out who goes where. Who's got lower than a 15? Players who have lower than a 15, you know, raise their hands you put them under the monster and from there you know that's that's the that's the bulk of initiative figured out who's got higher than the monster who's got lower than the monster and then you arrange based on that because typically there's not really that much of a spread between the play it's very rare that someone will be like i've got a 20 and someone else would be like i got a two rolling a two in initiative happens it definitely happens. I've seen it happen before. It seems to be kind of rare, though. I can't speak to that. If you consistently roll twos in initiative, uh, definitely shoot me an email, because uh, I will be interested to, to hear about how you are consistently rolling twos on initiative. So yeah, that pretty much covers everything that I wanted to add to our discussion. Once again, you can hear about a lot of this stuff in Matt Colville's video, The Monster Wrangler. And this is just stuff that's going to make your life a lot easier. So yeah, that's going to do it for my little monologue today. Let's get into this uh, this conversation with Courtney. Uh, before we do so, uh, just a reminder, you can email me questions that I will answer on the show at rollinbboneswithryan at gmail.com. Once again, that is rollinbboneswithryan at gmail.com. You can join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram, where I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. Instagram is where you find my uh, my miniatures, which is apropos to today's conversation. And also, you can find everything for the show, uh, episodes, there'll be blog content coming soon, a uh, contact page on RollinBonesPodcast.com. RollinBonesPodcast.com is your central hub for everything, including the RSS feed, different uh, podcatchers. All of that stuff can be found, once again, at RollinBonesPodcast.com. So, without further ado, let's get into today's conversation with Courtney from Figuratively Speaking Minis. I hope you all enjoy it. I certainly did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm Rollin' Bones welcome to the proprietor of Figuratively Speaking Minis on Instagram and YouTube, ladies and gentlemen, Courtney. Hello, everybody! Absolutely. Welcome to Rollin' Bones. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. You were the second Canadian in as many weeks to, to join the show. Perfect. More Canadian content. Absolutely. This show has ended up being very, very Canada-friendly, as I've discovered. We've we've had a great many Canadians, mostly from the Knights and Nerds crew, but... Oh, nice. Right on. Have you ever listened to Knights and Nerds? Uh, yes, I listened to uh, one of their first episodes, yeah. Those guys are my favorite. Tim is the reason why I do this podcast. He was my first guest, and I just had him on the show last week, so... Right I, I owe them a, a debt of gratitude. <laughs> well, that sounds nice. So, Courtney, we are going to start this interview the same way we start every interview. I'm going to ask you these same questions that everyone gets asked. So, first Perfect. and foremost, how did you get into RPGs? How did I get into RPGs is a great first question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I was on my maternity leave, and I was a little bit bored. And so um, my husband actually introduced me to his gaming crew. And we started uh, playing Imperial Salt, a tabletop RPG. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got invited, one of the, the gentlemen that I played with, um, he was a part of a, uh, a writer's group. So I joined his writer's group. And I did that for a little bit. And I met the people within that group. And it just so happened that one of the lovely ladies is an amazing DM. She is one of the greatest storytellers that I know. And she offered to introduce me to Dungeons and Dragons. And it kind of snowballed from there. And I've been playing with the with the with the group for three years now. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. 
So in so your in, time playing, uh, what's kind of been your favorite game that you've played? Like tabletop board games or RPGs or? Uh, like RPGs. Well, we've, I've played 13th Age. We've played D&D 5e Ravnica edition. Ooh, I don't know. You know what? I, I, I love D&D 5e. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to say across the board, D&D 5e is probably one of the most my most favorite things I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fantastic answer. It's I mean, it's my personal answer. It's it's the system that I'm most comfortable with, and it's a system that really allows you to do basically whatever you want, however you want. Right. And like Ravnica was a really cool setting. I will give it that. Like that was a a world I felt like like we touched upon, but we didn't go very deep within it. And I thought we we could have gone a lot deeper with that. Unfortunately, uh, we weren't we weren't able to. Um, but Ravnica, that's a cool world I'd like to expand upon too in the future. I think. Now, did you have kind of a background in in Magic: The Gathering, or is that something that that was kind of new to you as you uh, started that Ravnica game? It was all new to me. I had never, I have, I had seen magic around, um, but I had never like picked up a deck and played before. So my DM, well, she was, re- she's really into Magic: The Gathering, so she was like, "Well, then I'll teach you." I'm like, "Yes, sounds good." So her and I played a couple games of uh, of Magic: The Gathering to just kind of tap into the world a little bit. Gotcha. So Courtney, who was your first character? My first character was very stereotypical (laughs) it wasn't um as well thought out as like my characters now and it was funny because I was reading some books by Sarah J Moss um the throne of glass series so I basically made my first character after the main character of that book so she was uh, a thieving rogue with you know she's human she's beautiful she's got blonde hair she's you know (laughs) She's just so stereotypical, but it was an, like a tragic backstory, of course. So <laughs> I went, I went down that route just because I, I had, I really like um, rogues and I like thieving and I like uh, all their little tricks and things that they got going on. So I went, I, I went pretty, pretty basic. Yeah, I, I mean, my first character, I, I like to say that he was Aragorn one Kenobi, but. In all honesty, I actually stole him from a different source, that being John Flanagan's Ranger's Apprentice novels. Oh, nice. Right on. Well, you know you know what? The stereotypes, they have their, their stereotypes for a reason, right? They're fun. They're interesting enough that everybody can relate at ish, kind of, I guess. But yeah, no, they're easy to play. Yeah, and they're... They're a good foundation. I actually talked about this very recently with uh, with Venger Satanus. They are a great foundation to start and and build upon, especially in in your case and in my case when when I was first creating that character and when you were first creating your character. When you're brand new and you're not really sure what to do, it's good to have kind of a familiar anchor, a character type that you're familiar with to start that journey into role playing. Oh, absolutely, and it's then it and and that at that point, you have so much more to expand upon, right? You can be like, oh, well, I kind of don't like this about a rogue. Like, why does it have to be such a tragic backstory? Why can't she just be, you know, a, a completely arrogant rather than tragic or something like that? And then it's nice to re-roll a different character with those things that you learned about the first character that you ever did. So, I, I, yeah, no, the stepping stones are there for the stereotypes, and and I love it so. In your three years, have you tried your hand at DMing yet? Oh, yeah. Yes, I have. Gotcha. Gotcha. How did that experience go for you? You know what? It, it was really fun. Um, now, don't get me wrong. My campaigns were <laughs> were quite a bit smaller. They were mostly one-shots um, that I've DMed. Um, but I I loved the, the storytelling mechanics of it that I felt like I'm like, hey, I, I want to give this a try. I think I'd be pretty good at it. And I liked... Um, building the maps, and I liked coming up with the obstacles that the characters had to face. I thought that was really, really fun. And um, we're my my little group that uh, we were looking into a game uh, called Shadowrun, mm-hmm. sixth edition. And uh, so I already did a one shot for that, which was quite interesting. But uh, um, yeah, no DMing is uh, it's pretty fun. It's a lot of work, but it is it is fun. Gotcha. Now. Having DM'd mostly one shots, is there? Ha, have you developed the uh, the NPC that shows up in every single game, or is that not come up yet? No, that hasn't come up yet. I've done a, a couple of 
NPCs that were a little off the wall, mm-hmm. but nothing, nothing too crazy. Just because I was like, okay, stick to the story, stick to the story. Okay, don't railroad them, but don't don't let them just go off. Railroad them a little bit, yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotcha. So when it comes to both um, playing and GMing, how would you describe your play style? I am more combat heavy. I I like I enjoy story, but I really enjoy action. I enjoy the fighting part of of games. So I do want there to be more combat rather than um, more role play. So I kind of I do lean t- more towards that. My wife is the same way. She she loves the combat side of D and D. Yeah, yeah. It's you know what when you roll a natural twenty, it's so epic. Or when you roll so much damage that, like, you totally annihilate, uh, like, a character. It's just, it feels so good. <laughs> just It just does. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they are at 7th level in their campaign, and my wife rolled a natural 20 on a sneak attack and got to roll all of those dice. And oh, amazing. Did tons of damage, and I, I'm pretty sure she she definitely killed who she was attacking, I don't remember if they hadn't taken any damage or if they'd only taken a little bit, but yeah, it was it was pretty fantastic. Oh, and then just like the the clack the clack of the dice in your hands and it hits the tray and you're just like, oh, it feels so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. For for those of you who are uh, huge Warhammer 40k fans, uh, maybe that was your your intro to tabletop gaming. If you want that experience back, uh, play a rogue. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I wanted to do when I played my rogue. I was like, just let me kill all of the things. Yep. Or or a wizard, but a rogue. Wizards, you know what? There's spell slots and all of that. It's like I I've never really played magic uh mm-hmm. magic doers. I've always stuck to, you know what, give me a crossbow, a sword, or a knife, and I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I'm I'm very much a, a martial class player. Yeah. So in the three years that you've been playing, um, I imagine you've probably made some great memories playing RPGs. What what would you say is one of the, the biggest standout RPG memories or a, a fondest RPG memory? You know what? There's been so many good ones. And, and it, it just comes down to those, those roles that, like, I hit a natural 20. Uh, you just do so much damage. The, the, per, the, the foe explodes. But you know what? My DM is so good. She lets us describe how we finish a person off, which is, you know what, that's, she's so, she's so good at that. And I remember when we were playing, uh, oh, was it 13th Age? I think it was 13th Age. And I, I just remember my, my fondest memories are, are just having her sit back and say, well, Courtney, and like in the words of Matthew Mercer, how do you want to do this? Yep. And I just remember sitting opposite of her and just like, smiling and then just describing how I how I just killed this you know monster and oh oh and another one oh we were playing Ravnica and a buddy of mine uh one of my most fond memories uh is uh, a buddy of mine was playing like a halfling uh, a halfling rogue which actually was really funny mm-hmm. um and he he motioned for one of these thugs to like whisper in his ear and then he like takes out his little dagger and stabs him in the ear and it was just like that was so clever and like it was like very in the moment it was it was really good and it was really funny we're like what did you do and then it like starts this big brawl yeah it was great so unfortunately now we have to kind of sink the the happiness ship here because <laughs> we we share the table with all kinds of people a lot of whom we grow to love as kindred spirits and fellow gamers but there's some people that we just don't click with and then there are some that we have reserved a certain term for that term being that guy so Courtney um, what is your best or worst that guy story hmm you know I don't have very many of those stories I I have one. And it was it was an unfortunate situation. It was more sad, and it was really upsetting actually for a couple of months um, when we had a, a friend, a dear friend, a suddenly quit uh, in in the middle of a game um, and decided not to play with our group anymore. And we've never really figured out why. Um, I'm still friends with him today, though, and but I've never brought it up. But it was, you know what? It was extremely upsetting because we thought the game was going really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was really sad. And it still saddens me to this day because I really enjoyed playing with him. So as I didn't, I, yeah, so I don't really have any stories other than that one. 
um, about about that guy that kind of just was like, whoa, what happened here? I don't get what just happened, but okay, we're going to roll with it. I've, I've been extremely fortunate to play with a lot of kind and caring people um, who are very considerate, very open. And yeah, I, I've, I've been very fortunate. Yeah, I've, I've had a situation like that before. Fortunately, that player eventually came back and, and had an explanation as to what happened and everything kind of ended up working out with that but yeah that that's a very that's a very difficult situation um especially if the person just one week doesn't show up and then just continues not showing up i, I don't know if that was the the situation that you were in or if he kinda oh no it was this. it was a abrupt and i'm never gonna play with you again so it was it was very it was very uh abrupt and jarring Absolutely. and unfortunate when we play RPGs, there's a lot of stuff that just kind of comes with the territory, and some of it we, we grow to love as we play the game and grow to appreciate for what it is, but some of it just kind of weighs things down and just becomes kind of cliche. So, Courtney, what's your least favorite RPG cliche? I think my least favorite RPG cliche would be, like, one entity trying to take over the world. I think that, you know, like, it's it's... It's overdone. I think there's so many different things about a world that you can create that, you know, a foe doesn't just have to be, I'm going to try and take over the world or I'm going to destroy the world or something like that. Because you know what? Evil takes a lot of forms and um, it, it could be, you know, related to what's going on in our world where there's some kind of weird trafficking or, or of, of things. And, you know, that could be a serious problem for a nation. And it's like, you could have a party that dismantles that whole thing and, and have that be an epic campaign, right? It could just be so detailed and underground and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that, that the trying to take over the world or ruin the world is, is you know what, think of something else. <laughs> it's been done. Yeah, I mean, Steven Spielberg made a whole movie about a trucker terrorizing a driver because he cut him off, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, look at John Wick. Look at that series of movies. The guy, his dog got killed after his wife passed away, and it spawned three movies, and soon to be four. So, you know, like, there's, there's small things, smaller storylines that can be so incredibly detailed... And so incredibly fascinating, interesting. You you could have a party that goes extremely thorough with it, and you know that that I think like um in our Ravnica campaign we did a murder mystery, and that was really really cool because I had never done a campaign like that. And uh, you know you're investigating, you're questioning witnesses and different things like that, and that that took us a long time. That took us like a year that we played that. So yeah, it was it was really interesting. I tried to do one single session that was a a whodunit murder mystery, and it would have gone perfectly, but one of my players was very, very drunk. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so probably not quite up and up on the detail work that that would entail. Yeah. <laughs> so last of these introductory questions before we dive into the the content that you work on and, and stuff sure. like that this is a question that has stumped a lot of people on the show and it can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be okay so courtney if you could put anything on a t-shirt what would it be oh you know i know exactly what i would put on a t-shirt in my office, uh, right above my desk, is a little poster that my daughter made me. And it says, do more of what makes you happy. And I think that people get stuck in their nine to fives. They get stuck um, with the daily grind of their life. And they forget to do a little bit more of what makes them happy. And I think that would be a great thing to put on a t-shirt and walk around wearing just in case someone that day just needed a little bit of a pick-me-up and a reminder that there's more to life than working the nine-to-five and, and you know, the daily grind and all that jazz. All the cliche sayings, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think it's important. And that's a message that I would like to spread. It's It's nice to have a good inspirational one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. So I've been bringing my original D&D group onto the show, and every time I bring someone on, it, it basically turns into a competition of whose answer can one-up the previous person's <laughs> answer. Yeah. 
which is kind of a difficult task because the first person from that group that I had on said that he would put a fully functioning koi pond on a t-shirt. So it's just been... (laughs) Okay, okay, yep, that's, you know what, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. But it's it's nice to have one that's uh, inspirational and a, a message that you'd like to, to spread out to the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your content on Instagram and, and now on YouTube, as I've seen that you've expanded onto YouTube, is based around... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I just said, yeah, that, that's quite recent. <laughs> it all centers around miniature painting. So, Courtney, how did you first discover the, the wonderful hobby that I participate in of, of miniature painting? Yeah, so that's uh, that goes back to that same group that I started um, Imperial Assault with. Um, the friend of mine that uh, had that game was like, oh, yeah, these are miniatures. This is what it looks like painted. I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. And he's uh, kind of fell off to the wayside for a little bit. But then um, we started playing Gloomhaven. And he was saying, well, he's, he's like, would you like to paint your miniature character that you were playing? And I thought I was the spell weaver. That's the one of the first characters that you get as a spell weaver. So I picked her and she's got fire and ice in her hands. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty, pretty cool. So I went to my dollar store or my local hobby store. And we, I bought some paint um, and some cheap brushes. And then off to work I went. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I found right off the bat I was fairly decent at it. Um, he saw, my friend saw how much I enjoyed painting miniatures. And he said, well, I've got a box of <laughs> plastic. Would you like to paint it? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And then it kind of snowballed from there. So I started painting um, his, um, what was said, Descent Journey into the Dark. So I decided to paint that set for him. And then another friend of mine was like, oh, do you want to practice more? Because I had been chatting with her about it. So I uh, had painted her box set of uh, Massive Darkness. And then uh, one of my husband's co-workers said, oh, your wife paints miniatures. Would she like more to paint? <laughs> and it kind of just snowballed from there. So I started off with Descent, Journey into the Dark, Massive Darkness, and then I started on my first round of Dark Souls. And that's kind of how I got into it. So it was a lot of initially uh, like painting collections from, from different like board games that people had? Yeah, basically anything that anybody had laying around that they were like, oh, yeah, I could, I would like this painted. I thought, great, because I personally do not want to collect a lot of plastic, um, so I'll be more than happy to paint this and give it back to you. Yeah, we're starting to run into that problem here in my house, where I have amassed not as many miniatures as I've seen other people amass, but it, it, it's getting up to that that level. I'm starting to outgrow the shelf that I have, and yeah. at some point, my wife is just going to be very concerned about the ever-growing collection of plastic minis that are all over the house. Oh, there's so many because it's like if you're running a D&D campaign, well, you know, you might have wolves in the forest. Well, you don't you can't just have one. You need like five and then <laughs> and then terrain and all that kind of stuff. Like it just it grows. The collection really does grow. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a trap. It's yeah. definitely a trap. Yeah. Tim and I actually talked about that last week uh where, you know, it it's great to play with minis, but once you start that, uh, once you start actually doing that in your your D and D games, it's impossible to go back, mm-hmm. and you start to, as a dungeon master, go, okay, well, I don't have this. I need this. Yeah. I need more bugbears. Yep. <laughs> yep. I know the feeling. Yeah. I know my my DM. She's so she's so good. We do use a lot of theater of the mind, but. Um, I do. I did paint a bunch of miniatures for for our crew that that I play with, and uh, I did a custom Loxodon because we couldn't find Loxodons at the time mm-hmm. uh, t- when we were playing Ravnica. And I was like, "Well, I'm gonna make you one." And I mean, it was my first attempt at modifying a, a, a Loxodon, so it was it's not it's not the best work, but you know what? It, it it turned out fairly well. And so yeah, we we play with miniatures. Um, but we we still do a lot of theater of the mind. Now, is that one that you had to use like uh, like green stuff or something like that for the for the modifications? Yeah, but unfortunately, I didn't have green stuff at the time, so I bought like air dry clay and <laughs> used that. So it wasn't the best medium to work with, <laughs> but it worked. It worked out in the end. So 
When it comes to kind of developing technique and and getting better as a painter, was it just a matter of practicing over and over again, or did you seek out any kind of tutorials on how to do certain techniques? Oh, both for sure, both. Um, I watched I've and I still watch hours and hours of tutorials every week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and it's constantly practicing. It is. It's constantly saying yes to people saying, hey, can you paint this for me? Yes, I can. <laughs> um, so it, it is constantly practicing. I don't think in the last year I've gone very many days without painting something. That is a wonderful place to be in because I try to paint something every weekend and that does not always work out. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Last year I painted 214 models. I think that's what the... What the count came to. That is awesome and amazing, and I wish I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot of work. (laughs) I mean, every day, I've I've got tons of idle time at my job. I'm always sitting there going, I could be painting a miniature right now. Mm -hmm. I know, sometimes I'm like, what am I doing with my hands? Oh, I'm not painting. (laughs) I should go paint something. Yeah, let's go do that. I do wonder if my supervisor would, like, walk by my desk and be like, what are you doing? And I just, I'm painting. (laughs) I don't have another call for 30 minutes. I'm painting right now. Yeah, exactly. Make it work. Fit it in. So when it comes to, uh, you know, deciding what miniatures to paint, I know a lot of it is what people give you, but is there a specific kind of miniature, be it monster or player character that you, you prefer to paint? Yes, I have totally fallen into the trap of monsters. Um, you know what? They are the most fun thing I've ever painted. And I, you know what? To be honest, I've fallen into to the trap of Warhammer monsters. Mm. So I'm really digging, uh, like, yeah, Warhammer monsters, like Nurgles and stuff. <laughs> More, uh, yeah, Nurgles and uh, Squigs. Yeah, those those game shop uh, those games workshop miniatures are a hell of a drug because yeah. they've they're they're so intricate and detailed and they look so great when you paint them. Yeah. Uh, but I'll be damned if they aren't expensive. Oh, they're heck uh, expensive! Holy smokes! Um, I, I set a budget for myself. I'm like, you can only buy like one of these every few months because yeah, I can't. And like I said, I don't want to accumulate too much plastic. So, you know, there's got to be a fine line there. Um, but I've, I've been so fortunate enough to know, um, uh, uh, a few people in my neighborhood and, and through family friends that, um, had extra Warhammer bits laying around they had extra bits of their army. They're like, oh, you can have it for like super cheap. So I got like a bag of goblins for like 20 bucks. So it was it was awesome. It was, yeah, super, super convenient. Now, there's one uh, particular aspect of miniature painting that stymies a lot of painters, uh, myself included from time to time, and that is eyes. Yes. So have you developed or found a technique that, that works really well for painting eyes? Yes, yes, I have. Um, I... <laughs> Again, this was like this was like months of practice. And at one point, I was commissioned for a set of Firefly Brigades and Brown Coats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a tabletop RPG game, uh, board game. And I had to do what was it like fifty six sets of eyes uh, in like two weeks. So I was just doing set of eyes after set of eyes after set of eyes. And I watched a bunch of tutorials on it because I wasn't that great at it. So I do the I do the technique where I shade the face. I do I do the face really nice, get it all all set up, and then I start with the with the gray or or really dark gray dot, and then the white dot in the gray dot, and then the colored dot in the white dot, and then the little tiny pupil or accent uh, white or black dot in the that dot, and it's just. You just got to find a really, really sharp brush. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's so tiny, but it feels so good when you nail it, you know, like you're just like, yes, I did it. So that's awesome. That's always, I always run to my husband and I'm like, look at this. Look at the eyes. Isn't it so nice? He's like, yeah, good job. I'm like, thank you. The technique that I've been using is I do the eyes before I base coat or before I uh, um, highlight the face. And I do them very big, mm-hmm. and then I uh, do the base coat over top of what's left and then highlight. Nice. Yeah, I've tried that method too. And I just found uh, for that particular order of operations, um, I would always smudgy 
the flesh color like right in the eye. <laughs> so mm. I would be like, oh, well, that was pointless. Oh, crap. Yeah, I, I've definitely done that before, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and then you have to go back and do it anyways again again. yeah so there's all kinds of different miniatures out there um and i found just in in my experience of painting some of them are really fun and and cool to paint uh the details are great and some of them the details are not so great so is there a a favorite kind of mini and like maybe a least favorite kind that you've uh you've painted yeah i've got i i have a spectrum and on my spectrum you have some of the best miniatures I've ever painted come from companies like Creature Caster, Titan Forge, Games Workshop. Uh, those are the ones uh, that I find are some of the best miniatures out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had miniatures 3D printed, and they're okay. But I find if it's a larger print, like the bust that I did, where it's like this creature, water creature, um, it's awesome. Smaller miniatures, however, I, th- I feel like you just can't get the right detail in those um, small miniatures. Um, 3D printed ones like Hero Forge, I find are not proportional. So that makes it very interesting. I find some of the, like the, the faces are very narrow, the hands are very wide. And I'm not 100% sure if that's because the person who created the miniature wanted it that way (laughs) but I've done several commissions where I'm just like oh this is not proportioned correctly um some of my least favorites that's getting into the that's getting into like you know the mass-produced Dungeons and Dragons Nolzers ones you know what they they're okay they're all right they don't have a lot of um great detail on them they're very small. Sometimes the faces have no noses mm-hmm. and things like that. And that is kind of frustrating to try and, and paint on a nose when there is no nose there. Um, a lot of the board games like Zombicide or, you know, you're getting into those mass-produced large volume of miniatures uh, in the in a set, they're just not going to be as great. They're going to, the, the plastic's going to be a little softer. Um, and the detail is just not, is just not there. And they're, they're, they're very difficult to paint. And work around those those shortcomings. So that's kind of my spectrum. Yeah, Nolzers I find are incredibly inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. There are some where it's like, okay, the, the this one came out nice, uh, everything looks good, and there are some where you're just like, they need a new mold for this. This is terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And I found it's it's extremely frustrating with Nolzers to paint their uh, their player characters just because of again like you said how small they are and the smaller you get with those uh kind of mass-produced ones the less detail you're able to show right yeah like i um like I, the, the rogue that i painted for my D campaign um and my ranger that i did for my other campaign um in ravnica um they're they're okay they're just okay um it's but it's even no matter how brightly colored or sharply colored you paint them, they're still, they're just, you can just, just tell they're cheaper. Like you can just see it. Like you're like, Hmm. Okay. Now, have you found that painting metal minis is uh, significantly more difficult or significantly easier than, uh, than painting the plastic ones? What, what's your take on kind of metal miniatures? Um, you know, I, in my experience, I haven't painted many of them and the ones that I have painted, I did not enjoy. Um, I guess, uh, I, I am very tactile. So holding the miniature felt awkward to me and then painting it. I just, uh, and, and even trying to clean up the lines and shave down the different parts of it. I found, um, you know what, your resin plastic is just going to be so much easier to work with. And I just much prefer the plastic to metal. Yeah, overall, I they're just uh, they're not my favorite medium. That's for sure. Yeah, and in my experience, the metal ones are great for uh, detail. I, I especially the the metal reaper ones that I've gotten. They're they're pretty good detail, but it's hard to make the paint stick to them. Even Absolutely, yeah, even if you prime it, uh, which which you're supposed to, because they yeah. don't they can't come pre primed. It, it's very hard just to get paint to stick to them. Yeah, yeah. I've I've actually I've had a few questions um come my way through Instagram about metal miniatures and painting them and what advice would I give someone and it's just like, man, I mean, go for a really great primer and hope it works. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And yeah, I, I d- definitely understand what you're saying about the, uh, the the Hero Forge minis not really being uh, proportioned correctly. I feel like they've made a lot of leaps in allowing you to change kind of the proportions of your character in their creator so that, you know, you can differentiate better between a human who's short and, say, a halfling or a dwarf. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there, there's actually, uh, and I kickstarted this uh, last year around uh, kind of May, June time, but there's a uh, creator out there called Eldritch Foundry. Yeah, that, Eldritch Foundry. That's a good one. Yeah, they, they have kind of made uh, proportioning things and, and scaling things their mission. Mm-hmm. In some cases, in my honest opinion, and I've had the guys on the show, they're, they're wonderful and I love their product. Uh, in some cases, I feel like to the detriment of providing a broader spectrum of things to choose from in their creator, but they really have nailed kind of the, the proportional aspect of, of miniatures. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen some of their stuff, and I've been, I was quite impressed. I was like, okay, this is, you know what, resin printing or 3D printing is going to come a long way. I mean, look at, uh, look at what uh, Hero Forge just launched with their colored uh, printing like that's that's amazing and just to think that that kind of technology will be available in home in a home uh you know give it a few years i, I doubt it even that long like it's going to be leaps and bounds yeah i am eagerly awaiting the day where i can have a home 3d printer and my wife who is sitting on the couch over here is probably dreading the day where i get home <laughs> a 3d printer I think you know I I'm I I will probably get a 3D printer one day. I uh, I have a lot of things I would like to print off <laughs> and paint. Because at that point, with a 3D printer, it's not just going to be the minis; it's going to be terrain yep. and and other things and and like little then... doors that can swing open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then our place will end up looking like my my good friend Josh's place, where it's just terrain and miniatures all over the place. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about something I would. Uh probably join you in (laughs) so i mean kind of continuing around this uh this talk about tools of the trade what kind of paints do you prefer and then also what kind of brushes do you prefer this is a great question um i teach classes also and i always get this question um about all the different kinds of paints that are out there um price points and different things like that and you know what to be honest my go-to paints right now um, are Citadel paints and Army paints and P3. Yeah, so I, I do have a, a, a... Well, I have like three big sets of paint that I use. Um, all of my P3s I bought used. Most of my Citadel paints I've had for a couple years. And um, other than that, it's dollar store paints. So I use a lot of dollar store paints too. <laughs> so, yeah. Those are those are my favorite. Um, and the reason they're my favorite, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll explain a little bit why and what I use them for. So the the citadels are great because I love I love the texture of the paint. It is it is a thicker paint, and but but I love that because I can thin it down to what I need it to be. Um, if I do need a thicker paint, it's already thick, and then I can thin it down. I can make washes out of it. I can make glazes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the army painters are great for teaching people how to paint because they are already um, thinned down enough that they are workable out of the bottle, in my opinion. <laughs> and this is so I bought a set to teach classes, a big, big um, box of the army painters uh, set of paint um, to teach classes with because I feel just like the range of color is wonderful. People can use a family of colors to base layer and highlight all in one go it's a great place to start for paint um and then i have uh like i said the the p3 um i bought all used and those i find are vibrant um they're very and again i bought them used so they are quite old and they're still holding up really really well and yeah like the color they're they're well pigmented they've got a great texture i feel like i can paint um, quite uh, quite a bit straight out of the out of the pot without having to water it down too too much. Um, so yeah, I also have some scale seventy five. I have I bought the um, fairy flesh set. Um, what are, yeah, the fairy flesh set fantasy pro. Sorry, from Vallejo. 
So I have been using that because I, like I said, I was painting a lot of flesh tones, especially with the the Firefly um, Brigades and Brown Coats. I was doing a bunch of D&D stuff. I was doing some Kingdom Death um, and a bunch of other things. Um, so I needed, I wanted to get some really, really bright paint sets um, for, for, for flesh. Because what I had from Citadel just wasn't quite cutting it in their flesh line. Because obviously their flesh line is created for more monsters or um, they're created for, you know, just, it's just not quite the same. So the, this, uh, this uh, Vallejo set that I got are really, really milky colors but they are very matte and that it was a new medium with paint that I had to that I had to figure out because a lot of these other paints are quite or not quite as matte as the as the the Vallejo set so that was interesting and a little bit of a learning curve but it it, you know what it's a great set um, for people who want instruction on you know let me base with this one and then let me highlight with this one then let me do this and this is what the effect is going to be like it's, it's great yeah, I, I primarily use uh, Army Painter paints uh, mm-hmm. myself. Just I, I got a very large set from uh, my sisters for Christmas last year, and I'm still kind of working through those. And I found, like you said, that it's very good for kind of teaching yourself to paint, as I've been doing over the past year and a half, almost two years now. And yeah, I, I do highly recommend those. Although I will say one caveat for people out there. One of my friends moved a whole lot of Army Painter paints from California to Tennessee, where we are. And she said by the time that she got here, a lot of them were just no good anymore. So if you are maybe putting your paints in the trunk of your car for a cross-country <laughs> trip... <laughs> They might not hold up as well yeah. as you might think, so just just keep that in mind. Yeah. So I had when I bought the fairy flesh set, they were I had it shipped kind of in the middle of winter, and you know, like where where I live, it gets last a few weeks ago, it was like minus forty like degrees Celsius, so it's it's super cold. So you never want to like ship paint when it's really really cold out, otherwise it just wrecks the paint. So, yeah, you have to be careful with that. And you'd like to think that, that carriers like, like Amazon or, or USPS or UPS or I, I don't know what you guys have, have up there. Um, you'd like to think that they're taking care of your stuff, but that might not always oh, be yeah. the case. You'd like to think that, but chances are it'll probably explode in the box. <laughs> but as for so, brushes, you, you said oh, you wanted to know about yeah. brushes. Absolutely. Um, so one of the... One of my favorite painting sets brushes right now is actually the Dungeons and Dragons set. Uh, it's a set of cheap brushes. It comes in a set of three. You have a basing, a detail, and a dry brush. And usually it goes for around $16 or $17. Um, I have a bunch of dollar store brushes and hobby store brushes that I use. Um, and I recently gifted myself a set of Monument Hobby uh, Bombwick Igniter Sable Hair Brushes set. Mm-hmm. And they have, I don't know if you've seen my Instagram about this. I kind of, I kind of went on a rant because I didn't really know how to take care of these brushes properly. You know, like I, I assumed like you shampoo them, you, you wash them, you don't use them with metallics, et cetera, et cetera. I was doing that. Unfortunately, the set that I um, had uh, was, was something, something was wrong with the set. Um, some of the brushes um, were already split, mm-hmm. which was really frustrating because it was like a brand new set of expensive brushes. But luckily the company, um, uh, Creature Caster uh, Monument Hobbies, they're sending me another set because that one's kind of a dud. So that was very, very generous of them. I will give them that. They reached out to me. They were so sweet. And they're like, here, let's give you some tips on how to take care of them. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with expensive brushes. And then I also got myself um, recently this past week uh, a Windsor and Newton Series 7, a number two. And I'm going to give that a go. I'm going to try that one out. So I'll probably I'll probably leave a review um, once I get my new uh, Creature Caster Bombwick Igniter sets um, and kind of just let people know, like, um, one of the one of the things that I mentioned on my Instagram, it's like, well, does a, a paint uh, an expensive paintbrush or these like, you know, coveted Windsor and Newton brushes does it make you a better painter and the answer is no it doesn't uh you know these tools are are great for you know improving your technique and what and whatnot but you know what my favorite my favorite brush probably costs like three dollars so it doesn't it doesn't really matter in the end it's just kind of a fun thing about the hobby that you can indulge in but you know what 
even the pros don't use expensive brushes. They have their favorite, you know, no name brushes or whatnot. But yeah, my, my favorite brush right now is, is my Dungeons and Dragon base coat set. Yeah. Yeah. I, a friend of mine actually gave me that set and, and I have it and I use, I use the dry brush brush from that set, uh, most often, um, but I I do also have a set of sable hair brushes that I love and uh, like you hinted at uh, taking care of your brushes is very very important I've got the the brush cleaner uh, I don't think soap is the right word but the, the stuff they sell in hobby stores yeah so it's like the master do you have do you have the the masters brush cleaner yep yeah that's the one I have I used to just uh, kind of wash them off and use use a little bit of uh, diluted dish soap as well. But I found that, you know, actually using stuff like that, the stuff that was designed for the brushes actually does help kind of maintain the points on them. So. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm a part of a Discord channel with a lovely, lovely lady named Manda. And she's like, did you wash your brushes? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I did. She's like, good, you have to take care of them. I'm like, I am. And then she's like, let me tell you how. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, she's she's lovely. It's it's always good to have someone come alongside you rather than than you having to make mistakes and learn that way. Oh, exactly, for sure. It it also costs less money in 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 the long run. <laughs> yeah, in the long run, and especially when it comes to miniature painting and and brushes. Yeah, no kidding. Hey. Gotcha. So is there that, that one thing out there that you really, really want to paint but have not gotten the chance to paint yet? Well, no. Actually, I I have, I have 3D printed a Howl's Moving Castle for myself, and I painted it, and I finished it. And that was one of the things that I'm like, I really, really want to make that. And I did. So that was, a, I finished that, I think, in September or something like that of last year. And I can't really think of anything else that I'm like, I have to paint that right now. But I, well, I mean, I kind of, I kind of want to paint more um, Warhammer figures. There are some of uh, that line that I'm like, I just really would love to do that. Um, Because like you see such talented people do their version and their color scheme on that miniature. And you're like, wow, what can I do with that one? So there's a few Warhammer ones. Um, but my, but my, I, I painted my house moving castle and that was like my dream. So I did that. So it's done <laughs> for now. Yeah. For me, I still really want to paint a beholder and I have not been able to find a, a good quality, relatively inexpensive beholder to paint. That's, really? that's been kind of my white whale out there. Oh, no way. So have you seen Nolzer's beholder? I saw, I saw the Nolzer's one and I like that. I've also seen uh, one of the ones that Reaper offers. Okay, yeah. Um, the trouble with the Nolzers one is I can never find it in stock. Oh, no way. It's one that I don't know why, but for some reason, all the hobby stores are always sold out of, and it seems like all of the online retailers are also always sold out of it. So instead of being the typical... Seven dollars that that a Nolzer's mini runs. A lot of times they're asking for forty to fifty dollars. No for it, way, because it's really? Out of print. Huh? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I I do have a beholder. Uh, that was actually when I first started playing D anD D. That's one of the ones that I wanted to paint. So I went out and I bought one, and uh, I found that you're right. They're they're like high in demand. Yeah. So as we're kind of winding down here, kind of reaching the end of our time, uh, we we haven't really touched on this yet because I just like talking about painting stuff. (laughs) What was it that made you decide, okay, I've painted all of these uh, minis and I want to share them with the rest of the world. What was it that made you want to decide to to create an Instagram dedicated to this? Oh, you know what? No one has ever asked me this question. I wanted to post them on Instagram and have like an online account because I wanted to, I wanted to keep a record of all the ones that I was painting and then, you know, giving back. Obviously uh, most of my Instagram feed is things that I painted and and I I don't have anymore. Um, But I also wanted to create an online presence um, because I wanted, I wanted feedback. I wanted to learn how to get better. And I found right off the bat, um, like it, it does take some time for people to notice you um, and, and unless you're, you know, kind of more in people's faces, asking questions, um, getting feedback on what you're putting out, um, you kind of can get lost in, uh, you know, the internet. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to put what I had out there so that people 
could show me how to improve. And I really enjoyed people's feedback. And so I kept posting. And it was never a, like a, like a, oh, I want to create content. It did not start off like that. It was definitely just, I just wanted somewhere to put my pictures and, and learn how to paint better. And, and then it kind of snowballed into what it is now. I mean, for me, it was, uh, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I, I would just go around showing people pictures of the minis that I painted. And I was like, I've got an Instagram that I don't use. Why don't I just put them all on there? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, another part of it too is, is nobody that I am friends with or family with, um, they had no idea that this was even a hobby. So there's no one I had to connect with that did this around me. Like there's like, and I didn't know that my local game stores, uh, hosted painting nights and things like that. I do now. But when I first started out three years ago, like absolutely, I had no idea. Right. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to speak to people who did the same thing as me. And like, cause I felt weird. <laughs> I felt like I was kind of an outsider doing this thing and I had no one to talk to about it. So yeah, I reached out to people on Instagram because that's where I found, you know, there was, it's, it's huge in Europe. It's huge in Spain and, and, you know, England and, you know, the Ukraine and Russia and Poland. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. Like, and, and people are more than happy to share their hobby with you, but you know, it might be a little bit intimidating to go to your local game store and be like, hi, does anybody paint here? Like, you don't know, how do you do that? Like, it's, it's, it's tough. So yeah, sharing, sharing my visions and my goals with like-minded people was a huge asset, huge. Instagram's so good for that. And so, like we said at the top of the show, very, very recently, I think it might have even been just last month, you have started putting content on YouTube. Is this something that you're you're really wanting to expand this year? Uh, yes, hopefully. I didn't, I was hopefully gonna, yeah, it was like the end of last month that I decided to just kind of go for it. I, I was having a really good day and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna make a video. I'm just gonna say, hey, I'm gonna make a YouTube channel. Cause why not? Sure. Um, and I think it's just because what I wanna say about the hobby it, you know what, it has been said already. And a lot of the people that I follow and do watch on YouTube, they're saying it too. They've got great outlooks. They're very positive. They've got great tutorials. So there's nothing I feel like I could really add. But if maybe just for that one person, I'm the one that kind of just gives them a little bit more of a, a fire under their butt to get going. Why not? Sure. Let's just, let's just try it. And I ha I've had such good feedback on Instagram about, you know, my, my whole philosophy, my whole attitude towards the hobby. And I, and I wanted to share that, my enthusiasm, because this is one of the greatest things that have, has ever happened to me personally. And I just wanted to share it. So why not YouTube? And it's, it's good to, to know that, that you're out there doing it just to, to spread the love and appreciation of this, uh, this hobby that, you know, I love and many others love. Because if you were doing it, for attention then your competition is literally eric matthews from boy meets world so <laughs> <I know. laughs> isn't that hilarious oh man that <laughs> show yeah yeah no i just i really I, I i adore this hobby it's brought me so much peace it's brought me so much joy um and it's brought me so many people who are like-minded and i just feel like you just you gotta spread that love you just gotta you just got to keep going with it and, and, and who knows what will happen, but I just wanted to share my perspective and that's kind of what it came down to. Gotcha. Well, as we are kind of winding down here, Courtney, uh, we, we've talked a lot about your social media, so why don't you go ahead and tell everyone where online they can find your work and, uh, you know, if you are still taking commissions, you know, where they can, where they can do that as well. Sure. You can find me on all platforms of social media. <laughs> no, mostly I am most active on Instagram. That's where you can privately message me. You can get tips, tricks, and see what I am putting out. I also do stories and, and different things like that where, you know, I, you can kind of get to know me a little bit better. I have just started a YouTube channel. I, I'm going to try my best to put out a video weekly. Um, I also have a website at www.figurativelyspeakingminis.com. There you can see price lists for commissions. You can see anything that I have for sale. 
you can see the pictures of the classes that I host. Um, you can see uh, a portfolio of my entire uh, painting life thus far. Um, and also I'm on Facebook at Figuratively Speaking Minis, um, where you can also DM me to get tips and tricks and see all of the events that I will be attending as well. So events on Facebook, price guides on my website, get to know me on Instagram, and you can watch me on YouTube. Well, Courtney, once again, thank you for joining us here on Rolling Bones. It was a pleasure talking with you about mini painting. And I hope you enjoyed your time here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that you uh, reached out to me. That was so sweet of you. Um, and I'm really excited uh, for your podcast. That's awesome. It's doing so well. So yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, next week, there will be no episode of Rolling Bones because I am moving. This operation is moving from one undisclosed location in the greater Nashville metropolitan area to another undisclosed location in the greater Nashville metropolitan area. So yeah, I'm going to have to take some time off for that. It's going to be a little bit crazy around here. But uh, the week after, we will be picking up with the entire crew from Wizards of the Couch. I have not done a podcast with five people in a very long time, and that's going to be very interesting. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I, I am very much looking forward to the madness. So, guys, until then, whether you roll a 1 or a 20, I'm glad that you rolled bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.